All right, well, good morning. Who's excited to be here this morning? Make a little bit of noise. You're excited to be here, man. It is so good to see you guys. We want to welcome everyone online and at our Ashland campus. Thank you for joining with us today. We're super excited. We're going to be celebrating communion at both campuses as well. So if you're watching online, you may want to go ahead and grab some juice and bread to celebrate that with us. And so we're going to jump right into this. So grab your Bibles. Go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're in this series called Encounter. And I'm going to talk about an encounter today that is so familiar probably with the most people in here. If, you like, if you've been to church before, you've probably heard about this. If, you're ha- if you haven't, awesome. We are so glad you're here because we're going to walk through this story. And I'm going to point out a couple things that, uh, that the Lord showed me, like some observations here. I- I've actually preached to this uh, chapter several times before in my life, and I've read through this all the time. And so you're probably familiar with the story. But when we are familiar with the story, sometimes it's good just to go back through it, see if the Holy Spirit wants to say something to us us that would, that would use it in our heart and lives that we can use it to, for other people. And so this is what I've been thinking about for a long time as we lead up to our Easter services uh, that was going to be amazing next week. We have three services that we're going to be doing, a 9, a 10.30, and a noon. And I would encourage you, if, especially at this service right here, if you could pick the 9 or the noon, that would be great uh, because at the 10.30 is going to be slamming here at the Moorhead campus, and we always have 10 and 11.30 at Ashland. And so, but anybody you bring, if this is the only time they can come as the 10:30 service then you bring them to the 10:30 service. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that more at the end. So I want to walk through this story in John chapter 4. Maybe this is not so much of a sermon as it's kind of a little Bible study for us to just kind of walk through because there's some really fascinating things I want to point out, uh, at least fascinating for me that stuck out that I want to challenge to all of us as we get ready for this Easter season that's coming up. And so in John chapter 4 what we see here is that Jesus is making his way from Judea and Galilee, and it says he had to stop to go through Samaria. Now, he didn't have to, but Jesus chose to. And he found himself at noon in the middle of a desert. Now, I don't know about you, I've not been in the middle of a desert, and I definitely won't be in the middle of a desert at noon, but you can imagine how hot that it would be. And so he finds his way and he makes his way to Jacob's well and he sits down against the well because he's tired because he, even though he's 100% God, he's 100% human. And he's tired and he leans against this well and the disciples see Samaria off at the distance and they said, they said Rabbi, Jesus, Messiah, you, you stay here and we're gonna go into town, get some snacks, get some food, you know, get some grub and stuff and then we'll come back and we, we can eat here and hang out here. So they leave Jesus by himself at this well, and Jesus is leaning up against the well, waiting for the disciples to come back. Now, you may have heard this story about the woman at the well, and we're gonna walk through that, and then most of this stuff, if you've been around, you already know. If you haven't, some of this is gonna be really new, so it's really good just to walk through it together. And so as we walk through this together, there's a few things I, I wanna point out, and then we'll get to like the, the point that we want, we want to make. So if you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, here we go, verse seven. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Remember Jesus, he's there, disciples are gone, he's by himself. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now this is fascinating, this is unbelievable. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food, and so the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Because though I am a Samaritan woman, she says, for the Jews do not associate with 
Samaritans. Now, this is so, so good. This is so good, man. Jesus breaks every taboo here that you could imagine, every social taboo. Jews and Samaritans don't mix. I mean, Jesus right now is going in at a 500-year battle between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the reason, one of the number one, well, not the, but one of the number one reasons why Jews and Samaritans didn't get along is because Samaritans were considered half-breeds. Samaritans could not track their genealogy, their lineage back. They started intermarrying with other groups of people, and, and, and 500 years now later, like, you don't even know who you are. Are you from Abraham and, or Isaac? Who's your ancestors? And so the Jews just kind of pushed all the Samaritans away and could not stand the Samaritan people because they could not trace back their lineages to be pure blood, true Israelites. And so this battle's been going on for 500 years. Jesus sits down at the well, here comes this woman, and on top of that, she is a lady. Listen to me, men in this day did not even address their wives in public. Now, we can look at that and laugh about that now, so that's crazy why that happened. But you gotta put yourself in the context. And so, for you, like, there's no big deal, Jesus wants something to drink, ask the woman. No, 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 no. A man wouldn't even address his wife in public, especially a rabbi would not address a woman in public. So for him to do this breaks all these social taboos. And this is just the way how Jesus began to liberate women and began to use them in a mighty way in his ministry. In fact, Luke tells us that the ladies came alongside and they provided resources. They did things and made things, watch this, to finance the ministry of Jesus. So it's amazing for a rabbi to even consider having lady disciples into his group to travel with him, but now here he is speaking to a woman who is not just a woman, a Samaritan woman. So I know we read over that real quick when we read our Bibles and we may not think nothing of it. This is massive, like this is unbelievable. But Jesus is going against the grain and, and breaking these social taboos that are taking place. And on top of that, this is what's really fascinating too, is that how this Profound theology of missions takes place right here. What do you mean by that? Is that Jesus humbled himself and had to ask for her service. Now, this is, this is, this is again, fascinating. Basically saying, I am weak, I have nothing to get water, and I need help from you. Now, goodness gracious, again, for him as a man, ask a woman, not just a woman, a Samaritan woman for help is so crazy. Like, why would you, you just elevate her because the only people who are stronger than you, if you're weak in the area, can help you. He's saying, I believe you're stronger than me. You have a bucket. You have something to get water. I don't, and I need help. So what's so crazy about this is at that moment, we don't really see this, but at that moment, Jesus just elevated that woman's self-worth just by asking a question. She doesn't get this just yet, but he is in the presence of bringing this light, elevating her self-worth just by asking her a question. Now, the crazy thing is, if Jesus would have drunk from her water pot, which we don't know, she leaves it, we'll look at it just in a moment, if he did or not, if he would have done that, it would have made him ceremonially unclean. It was even written that you as a Jew cannot use the same utensils of a Samaritan. For him to put his lips to a jug, a water pot, that she brought to him would have made him completely unclean. He would have had to go to the temple, do all the rituals to purify himself. He's like, I don't care about that. I'm thirsty. Listen, would you give me something to drink? Verse 10, Jesus replied to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, 
You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, does it just, again, we're walking through this, and we'll get to the point just in a moment. I want to show you. He says, if you would have knew the gift of God, to the Samaritans, the gift of God was the Torah of Moses. The, the, the Jews thought the gift of God would have been the laws and the prophets. And what Jesus is trying to say, the gift of God is not a book. It's not what's written down. It is a person. It is the Messiah. It is the one to come. If you would have known really what the gift of God is, you would have asked for living water. Now, she knows the Bible. You're going to see this in a moment. She's smart, man. She knows the Bible. But the prophet Jeremiah says the living water is God and you've turned your back on God because you dug your own wells, you've dug your own cistern and he is the one who has the living water. But she doesn't let the living water resonate in her ear. She doesn't see he's talking about God. Like God would have given you himself if you would just ask. She doesn't pick up on this just yet. And so verse 11, she said, sir, you have no bucket. <laughs> like, hello, like you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Again, she doesn't make the connection that God is the living water. Where do you get this living water? Are you not greater than our father Jacob? Are you who gave us this well and drunk from it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give, that I can give, watch this, will give him, shall never be thirsty but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain and a water springing up of eternal life. Again, she's oblivious. All she hears is, I want some of this magical water. Look what she says in verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor have to come all the way here to draw water. She completely misses eternal life. She completely misses the living water. All she's thinking about is, yo, listen, all the women come out here in the morning. Women come together in the morning because of thieves and robbers. They travel in packs. They come in the, before it gets hot, they draw the water. Now, because this lady you're about to see is a social outcast, she doesn't come with all the other ladies. She's isolated. She has to make the trek by herself in the middle of the day, at noon, when no one is there except the scorching heat of the sun. So please, sir, give me this magical drink. Give me this water so that I will never have to face to come out here in the middle of the desert again. I don't have to come up by myself. I don't have to come to this well. I don't have to grab the water and bring it up. Give me this magical drink, man, and I will never be thirsty again. That's how she's seeing this. Because I don't want to come and face the ridicule of the women. I can't travel with them. I have to come out by myself. It's pretty dangerous for me to travel as a woman by myself out to the well. And so please give me this drink. Please give me this drink. So that I don't have to come back out here and draw water again. Again, she misses what he's trying to say. So then Jesus, verse 16. Now this is where it gets very personal. He says to her, go Call your husband and come here. He gave her three commands. I'm gonna come back to this because this is the thing that I've read over and over and over and I've never really saw the three commands. Look, at go, call your husband and come here. And the woman said to him, I have no husband. She answered correctly. Jesus says, You're, you've, you've answered correctly that I have no husband. For you have been married five times 
which means you have been divorced five times, and the one that you're living with, the one that you're shacking up with right now, is not your husband. This which you say is true. Now, before we unpack this, there's a few things I just want you to pick up. Jesus didn't get into a cultural debate with her about a man and a woman should be speaking. Jesus didn't get into a political debate with her. How in the world is the Samaritan and Jews? This has been a 500-year war going back and forth. Jesus didn't get into these debates. He could have. Jesus didn't come and say, bro, listen, I am greater than Jacob's well. Yeah, you said that like he was here and he drunk from it. I made it. You're like, you know, Jesus didn't get into all these debates. Things that frivolous debates that we would try to get into, trying to make a point to win the argument. And a lot of times when you debate, really no one wins. It kind of steeps you in further into what you believe. So Jesus is very tactical here in the words he used with the Samaritan, with the Samaritan woman. And so being the true prophet that he is, a prophet will always point out sin in your life, which he does. But I want you to understand what the command that Jesus gave her. He says, go call your husband and bring back, the, bring him here. Three commands, go, call. That word call in Greek is phone, it's where we get our word phone, telephone, to make a call. There's another Greek word called kaleo, it means to invite. It means to have a personal invitation. He doesn't say kaleo. Go personally invite your husband to come back here at noon to the well while nobody's here. He says, go and by all means of communication, that's what phone name means, by all means of communication, you speak it. Of course, right, he, she couldn't text him. They didn't have it back then, okay? And some of you think they did have Facebook back then. They didn't have Facebook back then and put an in no, invite on there or anything. He says, at all means possible, you go do whatever it takes to communicate to your husband, phone name, to communicate. Always you can communicate. And watch this, bring him back. Make him come back here to this well at noon with you. That is crazy. And this is what, was, I started studying this, this is what really put that. This is insane. Because one, he's saying, I want you to go be a witness to your husband to convince them to come back here in the middle of the day in the desert. First of all, ladies are not witnesses. Ladies don't testify back then. So this is like completely foreign. You mean I, they're gonna believe me? A woman's testimony would not have been valid at this point. On top of that, I'm a social outcast because the lifestyle that I live would have been dishonoring to the people. That's why I have to come out here by myself and can't travel with all the other women because of what they say. And now you want me to go to my husband. Which one? They're five and the guy I'm living with now is not my husband. Which one do you want me to bring? This is crazy that Jesus would have commanded her, like a command, not a suggestion, hey, if you feel like it, you know, uh, maybe just like share your faith or maybe just have an invite, maybe just like bring somebody. It's not the great suggestion, it's the great commandment. He commanded her to go and to do this. But she's embarrassed. She deflects it. She doesn't pick up on it. She doesn't want, just like you don't want, I don't want, sins pointed out in my life. But Jesus believed in her. Jesus believed in her witness to her husband. He believed that she could do this, but she's embarrassed and she changed the subject. Look what she says, verse 19. Sir, okay, that's how we're gonna play? You're gonna roll like this? I don't say, I don't think the claws came out, but in my mind, you know, I can say, you know, here she goes, now here she goes. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Why? One, because he knows 
her life, but everyone didn't know that lie. Everyone in that city knew this about her. It wasn't like this like closed, like everybody knew this. So maybe he could have found that. Reason she says, I know you're a prophet is because you have, you, you have some authority in your voice and how you sound to call this out, to point this out in my life. So I perceive that you're a prophet. And then all of a sudden, she changed the subject. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. We worship here, you worship there. We've been doing this for five minutes. You think you're right, I, we think we're right, and all this stuff, and we have all this confusion. And then Jesus does something amazing with this woman. He elevates this woman again and treats her as like one of the most serious theologians, teacher of the law, Pharisees of Pharisees, and Jesus tells her the most profound, if you want to put it that way, most serious, most important teaching on worship in all the New Testament. He didn't teach this to his disciples, that's recorded. He didn't tell the apostle Paul this, that we have, that's recorded. He tells a Samaritan woman who's been divorced five times and shacking up with a man, and he treats her as a very serious sage or theologian and elevates and has a teaching on, watch this, on the greatest teaching of worship in all the New Testament. See, when we read this really quick in the Bible study, or you're reading through your Bible, and you read this story about the woman aware, you've heard it, you've taught it in Sunday school, you've been around, I've preached this before. It's so easy to look at the context and put yourself in this. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. What's he saying? It's gonna be obsolete because God don't dwell in man-made things. I'm about to die, I'm gonna go to the grave, I'm gonna get up three days later and we're gonna become the temple of God. God's gonna dwell with inside of us and worship doesn't matter on this mountain, that mountain, that building, this state, this country, this nationality, this color of your skin, it doesn't matter because the spirit of God is gonna live within the temple of his people and guess what, doesn't matter where you are as long as you do it with spirit and truth, you can worship God. Worshiping God is not a location, it is a lifestyle. You don't come to worship. It's a lifestyle. We come and sing, but worship is greater than singing. Look what he says. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. And she cannot argue with that. She knows that. The Messiah is coming. But a time is coming for even now has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They have never heard this before. They have never heard this teaching before. And here he is at a well at noon, weary and tired, speaking to a half-breed Samaritan woman who's had this promiscuous lifestyle. And he's pouring out the deepest theological teachings of worship. Do you see how we miss this when we read it in the context? how quickly we overlook this. Again, he is elevating her self-worth. He is elevating this woman. Jesus liberated women. It's crazy, look what, keep going. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, she didn't get into debate with him. She says, I know this is complicated, but when the Messiah 
who is coming, who is called the Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all this stuff to us, and guess what? He'll fix it. He'll tell us who's right, who's wrong, who gets to worship here, worship there. Is it Samaritans or Jews? He will settle this 500-year debate that we've been arguing back and forth for 500 years. And then Jesus, here it is, one of the greatest statements in the Bible, John 4, 26. Jesus says to her, I am he, the one you're speaking to. I am the anointed one. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one that you just said. And this is what's so fascinating. We know this if you read this. He's used the word I am. This is the exact same name that God gave Moses in the burning bush when Moses says, who do I go tell the people you are? Who do I tell Pharaoh you are? And God says, tell them I am. I am the great I am. I am who I've always been. I am. And so there's seven I am statements through the book of John. This is one of those statements where Jesus says, I am. He is claiming the name of God, the living water, the one that Jeremiah talked about, the covenant made with his people, not was a book, was a person. I am he, and then all of a sudden, the disciples return, and they're sitting there, and they're probably you know, eating some chips, and they're getting the food, and like, man, I can't believe it's so hot, and they're probably talking bad about the Samaritans who they just went and got food from. I can't believe Jesus made us go into Samaria. I feel unclean already just being around these people, and we had to go to the marketplace. I think that person brushed into me. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, I mean, come on. This is how they would have treated the Samaritans. So you can keep reading when they walk up and Jesus, they're shocked. They are utterly shocked. I mean, they could not believe, one, rabbi talking to a woman. Two, what is he doing? What is he even thinking? But they dare not ask him. And then the woman, verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went to the city. Now, don't get caught up in that. I think that's just descriptive. I don't think she left behind her old lifestyle to go now to a new one and all this stuff like that. No, I think she just left it. Either one, she wanted Jesus not to go nowhere. Here's a water park. Drink it if you want it. Keep yourself up because I'm gonna go tell somebody. Or two, she just left it because she forgets. You ever forgot your keys and left them somewhere? She just left it. Okay, don't read too much into it. But she left her water pot. I think it's descriptive. She went to the city and she said to the people, come see a man who told me all things that I have done. And I could hear the people in the community going, everybody knows what you've done. It's all over social media. It's in the Samaritan Independent. People's talked about you. This ain't like this is billions of people where you're hiding out. So what's, what's so different about a man who's told me all that I've ever done? Then she says this, she tags it with this. This is not the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, is he? And look at this, look at this. This is crazy. Verse 30, they left the city and were coming to him. What would, what would cause that? I mean, really, I mean, think about it. What would have caused that if she would have stood up here and shared, hey, I went out here to a well. Some guy told me everything I've ever done. Could this be really the one we've been thinking about, the Messiah? And on a woman in the society, a dishonorable 
woman's testimony. Where women are not witnesses. The city believed her. And they came. They came. And this is really where it just got so fascinating. And then Jesus has this talk and he says, you're hungry? And he goes, I'm not hungry. Well, who fed you, Jesus? We went and got you food. How could, my food is not from here. My food's from the Father. And I got spiritual food and I'm nourished by it. You can keep reading the following right there. And this is what goes on. And they go, well, what's going on? And Jesus said, look, the harvest, it's ripe. Some people sow, some people reap. Sometimes it doesn't happen. We're about to reap. Look, lift your eyes up and look at the harvest. What if, I believe clearly at that point. Jesus says, look and see all the people of Samaria who's coming this way. The harvest is ripe. I could do another whole sermon on the disciples who should have been there witnessing to the Samaritans about the one who's at the well. We're not doing that. But the one who lived a lifestyle outside of, like, goes to the ones and tells the one the one is at the well. Verse 39. Now from that city, many Samaritans believed in him. Now watch this. Because of the word of the woman who testified. I'm so thankful that the Apostle John put that in. I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit inspired him to put the word, she testified, which doesn't happen. They believed her testimony. Why? Your story with Jesus has the power to change the people around you. Jesus says, listen, go, call, bring back three commands. I know you think they won't believe you, but watch this. With me, empowering your story, there is power in your story. People will see me in you. And they will want to know and they will come and not only believe because of your testimony, for he told them all that he'd done. And listen to what they said in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days, which would have made him unclean, which he did. Because he realized this doesn't make him unclean. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, to the woman. They were speaking to the outcast, the one that they'd not socialized with, the one that they would push away. Look, it is no longer because of what you've said that we believe. We have heard, we've had our own personal salvation experience with the Messiah. We have heard from ourselves and now know, watch this, that this one truly is the savior of the world. Real quick, fun fact. Caesar Augustus died in 14 AD. They believed he had deity within him and that he was a little G God. The teaching around this time was he was the savior of the world because he brought in so much prosperity and so much peace. So they claimed him to be the savior of the world. The Samaritans knew that. They're under the authority of the Romans as well. And if you don't miss what they said, we now know this is truly this guy, not Caesar Augustus, this guy is the savior of the world. And they believed. Great Bible study. What does it have to do with me? I said all that to say this one point. Go, 
call and bring back the same command that God gave the woman. Jesus has commissioned every one of us, no matter what your title is, no matter what you do for a living, you have been commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples of King Jesus. The same command that he gave this woman is the same command he gives us. It's to go call and make disciples. Bring them to a place where they can hear the life-changing message of Jesus or tell them the life-changing message of Jesus. And I know saying, God can't use me. You don't know my story. I can't speak eloquent. I don't know enough about the Bible. You know, my lifestyle that I'm living and all these things. You have all these excuses of why you cannot go witness to your coworker, witness to your classmates, talk to your coach, your teammates, your sorority sisters, your fraternity brothers, all this stuff. They, 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 don't, they know me, man. Like, they know everything about me. And so does King Jesus. And he says, go. Call. Bring back so that they will have a personal experience with Jesus and no longer believe because of your testimony, but because they've heard and they believed themselves. And so that's my point I wanna make to you. There is power in your story. So go share your story about how Jesus has changed your life. People cannot deny your story. And when they see that in you, they'll come. And someday they'll say, it was because of you and your story and your testimony. But I no longer believe because I've just seen transformation in your life. I believe now because he's transformed my life. And every one of us has been commanded to do that. And so next week, it's a Super Bowl week for the church. People who say they would never, ever, ever step into a foot of a church will come on Easter Sunday. And I, my prayer is we're gonna have a prayer and, and worship on Good Friday at seven o'clock right here as we pray and ask God to save people and as, ask God to move in our communities and ask God to bless churches in our region. This is the opportunity that you have to share your story and the power of an invitation Come and see. Come and see. So please, this week, don't, don't hide behind, I'm not good enough, I don't know what to say, people know my lifestyle, I'm not living really pure and holy right now, and, and you know, it's hard for me to invite so-and-so when they know the things I've done, and all this, listen, with Jesus and your story, he will give you the power. They knew this girl's story, but something changed. So here at the Moorhead campus, we have three opportunities. We have a nine, a 10.30, and we have a noon. Pick one. And whichever one your family or friends will come to, you come with them to that one. Because it's not, listen, it's, it's about them hearing the gospel. So you find one that fits for them, and then you come with them. Three opportunities make that. Another thing I wanna share with you real quick is because of that, because there's so many people, we're back, we're, we're over 50% in person year over date. 
People are coming back. You can see we've created space. We've added some more seats. I mean, right here, I can even fist bump Sandy right here on the front row. She's so close. Come on, Sandy. I mean, I mean, real close. We're trying to front row people. We love you guys. Thank you. It's extra credit heavy if you're on the front row. And um, we're trying to make seats. And because of that, we have so many kids in our kids' ministry turning the parking lot around. It's just good problems to have. Good problems. Trying to find a seat. You know that if you come here to... 10 o'clock. So what we're going to do is after Easter, we're going to change our service times so we can try to evenly split the services so that we can create space. And so Sunday after Easter, we'll be doing moving times to 9.30 and 11. So this service will not be at 10, it will be at 9.30. But we're going to bump the 11.30 down to 11. So now you got to pick. Do you want to come 30 minutes earlier? What we do? Or you want to come an hour later to the 11. Now, I know that may seem inconvenient to your schedule. Like, ah, oh, man, I'm in a routine. I like the 10 and it works. Lots of people like the 10. And that's a good thing. And so I, don't, I want you to get upset about that. I want you to say, our church has a problem because we have too many people at a service. That's a good problem. That's a good problem. Our kids' ministry have a problem because all of our kids are on top of each other. That's a good problem. Until someone gets hurt, and then all of a sudden we gotta work that out. But anyway, we wanna create space. So I'm not here to apologize for that, but just don't let the enemy go, how are you, I can't believe, no, no, this is a good thing. We're trying to create space and room so more people can hear the life-changing message of the gospel. Hey guys, thanks for joining us online today. If you felt led to take any next steps throughout this message, we would love to connect with you. You can best do that at betterlife.church slash next steps. If you would like to stay connected with us, um, you can download our app on any major platforms. And lastly, if you feel led to give and support the ongoing ministry of Better Life Church, you can do so at betterlife.church slash give. Thank you all so much for joining us and we will see you next week.